0: Welcome to Rebel Health Radio, bringing the best in alternative and integrative medicine to your ears. Okay, and welcome to the community membership, where we offer an informal discussion group of like-minded people helping to support each other emotionally through to a sense of thrival. And I'm going to be giving this short presentation to stimulate discussion. It's roughly four to five slides. And it's about 15 minutes, which you're now watching the recording of. And when we do this live, we ask people to take their video off if you'd rather not be seen. And then we open to questions and discussions afterwards. And so there's no obligation to share or talk if people would rather not. But I'm always delighted if people would like to share. All right, well, let's begin. So this first slide really maps the, the five human needs, sometimes all also called the human givens, um, into a pyramid of, uh, from the base to the tip here, and that maps it onto sort of different brain regions, which is very interesting. So our basic physiological and safety needs, the bottom two rungs, are basically mapped onto the brain stem, And they are basically to do with survival. So things like air, food, shelter, um, having something that keeps you safe, you know. um, uh, Reproductive uh, needs are also based around here as well. And then moving up a rung to love and belonging. uh, These feelings of uh, connection, intimacy, friendship, uh, are mapped onto our limbic brain or sometimes also called the emotional brain and that's a mammalian feature and it evolved slightly later in evolution and then moving up that to esteem and particularly self-respect self-esteem self-worth a, a sense of recognition and status these all come once these bottom levels are uh, you know secure and and Moving to the top of the pyramid is a state which we tend to refer to as self-actualization. Now, um, that is really the desire or the ability to become the most that you can be. So living your absolute best life based on your maximizing your strengths. And that is a state that really few people achieve in their lifetime. Honestly, there's very few people that do. And when they do, we tend to revere them because they, they have you know obviously found a state of being that is much more comfortable and you know something to be uh, admired that tends to map onto the higher level states of functioning in the cortex but be aware that it needs the lower two levels to be in place and functioning well as well so it is all about integration of the brain and now shame is linked very much to uh the normal development of a child and it it relates also to whether the child has their experience validated or not and so shame is a difficult one to put your finger on really because it's it's not an obvious emotion like anger or fear it's an internalized feeling i am wrong bad weird not enough, unlovable, disgusting, completely unacceptable. Those are the kinds of self statements that that you make when you're in shame. And they are learnt states during development as one of the core five emotions. So things like anger, sadness, joy, fear, and shame are common to all human beings and never more so than through your childhood because you live by your emotions up until about the age of seven, when your cortex starts to come online. And really, shame is is kind of caused by a failure of integration of the experience. And that is the job of the prefrontal cortex, which is part of your thinking brain um, just behind your eyes, actually. And it links very much to your emotional and uh, survival brains. And if you were to use an analogy, it would be like the clutch in your car. So it helps your brain to adjust to situations, to inhibit if, you know, the revs get too high kind of thing. Um, And so if that doesn't come in properly at the right time, shame can be a a permanent state and it can sort of uh, ruin your life. Having said that, it, it is a normal part of development and it's it's what parents normally use to limit unacceptable behavior, usually from the ages of three to five, when children are beginning to explore the world and and start to find out what works and what doesn't. And there may be a necessity for um, inhibition of certain behaviors, you know, so telling your child, don't hit your sister or don't run across the road. Um, are shame-inducing, but they are necessary things to to say in order for the child to limit uh, behavior that's not wanted. But of course it can be completely overused and become a currency in some families. And it's experienced by the child and actually the adult as a a sinking feeling, and they may exhibit uh, shame visibly by turning away or looking down, Um, and a, a sense of heaviness in the chest as well. And in order to kind of make sure that shame is is actually metabolized properly, the child must be reassured that it is the behavior, not the child that is needing to change. Um, now, unfortunately, if anger is added to the mix when you are you're using shame, then you will need to do more work. And, and in fact, you will need to say sorry to give an apology in order to repair. So something like, you know, mummy's sorry, she shouted at you, but, you know. We, we were worried about you. And if that doesn't happen reliably, it can have huge ramifications. Now, um, I, I'm gonna refer over and over to the work of Brene Brown on this because she, she has done an awful lot of work on shame and vulnerability, which I would refer you to. So the adult experience of shame then. Um, a shame-filled adult has no internal sense of safe self or solid ground which, as you might imagine, would have profound consequences. So your sense of safety or or kind of baseline uh, grounding foundation is missing. And mostly because you didn't have validation when you needed it. You see, validation is knowing what you think, feel and dream is acceptable and legitimate. By a person who's there for you, who shares your experience without judgment, but of course, it's often missing, and especially so if you are different in any way, you know, if you were the wrong colour, you know, you experienced racism or you were the wrong gender for your family or the wrong temperament or even the wrong sexuality. Of course, sexuality can be a huge source of shame, even today. And I would refer you to Alan Downs' The Velvet Rage, where he describes sexuality as an internal family system rejection, because sadly, still today, many children are rejected on the basis of their sexuality. And how do we learn shame? Well, we learn by being shamed uh, either via parenting, such as I've described, or schooling. Um, A lot of children learn shame from their peers, or sometimes, sadly, from both experiences. And the kind of overall statement of shame is, uh, who do you think you are? That kind of statement. And it, It comes from being criticized as well. Um, Maybe, you know, you got nearly straight A's in your grades, but maybe you got one B and the parent will say, well, why didn't you get an A here? You'll never manage in life, you know, so that drive to perfection. But there's also other ways a child can learn shame through observation and unconscious mirroring. So these are more unconscious processes of observation rather than what was said or, or done. And so if a parent is collapsed in some way, you know, is, is depressed and, and lacking motivation, the child will interpret that as being their fault and something they're not doing or doing, even though, of course, it could be nothing to do with the child. But the good news is it is able to be unlearned since it's a learned behavior. It's it's able to be unlearned and replaced with validation and acceptance of the self. But it's quite a bit of work to do that. It takes Time it takes commitment and a process that you go through in order to come out the other side, which is what I've done. Um, and don't forget, we're not blaming parents here. We're not we're not going down the blame route. There's no point it's because your parents are only as good as they were parented, and so they were probably shamed themselves. And so every parent parents the way they were parented mostly. Um, so it's just about being aware, not about blame. You see, they think they're toughening you up or preparing you for the hard knocks they themselves experienced. But the language they use is treated literally by children. So if if a a parent says, you know, you'll never make anything in life, the the child absolutely believes that and it becomes a program. And it tends to hide out. uh, Sorry, it tends to manifest as hiding out. Um, in your life, you know, uh, you won't do things that you want to do. You might feel terrible social anxiety. You might overcompensate, um, overworking, being highly competitive or overachieving. That awful uh, perfectionist tendency, which some of us have, which, you know, it's never good enough. Uh, We may have difficulty saying no. So we always say yes to things, even if we don't want to do them, or not asking for help, which of course is an admission of vulnerability which is very difficult for people who have shame. Uh, There may be a need to over control, particularly in um, narcissistic rage, you know, where the child grows up to be the adult who um, has so much shame they have to control others in order to assuage their shame. And it it can obviously play out as addictions, very obviously. And it is also gendered, so it's different um, for men and women. and again, Brene talks a bit about men being expected to be strong and not to fail and and actually, that can be upheld by their women the women in their lives and um, and it's very hard for men who are particularly sensitive and and I have a lot of clients who are uh, sensitive men as well as women so um, but the 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 basic feeling is that the adult cannot accept themselves as enough so if you have any of those feelings in your life it's likely you have this kind of shame imprint and you know the ways we deal with that we either disappear into ourselves and uh, our, or into our work are denying connection in other words uh, preferring outside validation uh, rather than internal validation because we, we can't find internal validation so we need others to approve of us Or, you know, we can become clingy, clingy and demanding. So, um, you know, overly demanding, which can also induce shame in ourselves when we realize that's what we're doing. So it can can become a real uh, loop that's difficult to get out of. And so healing this kind of shame, this toxic shame that, that exists over and above what is needed Uh, as a summary is a response to an early environment lacking in empathic attunement. So in other words, there wasn't much empathy. There wasn't, there wasn't much of a a sense of being attuned to your needs and there was very little or no mirroring of how to metabolize your emotions. Well, and where our experience of this, um, by the way, it's an embodied experience. Shame is not in your mind, just in your mind. It's actually held in your body. Where that experience is not able to be held and validated, we have no choice as children other to internalize this and locate the blame within ourselves. So that's where shame becomes toxic. And Brene Brown addresses this in her Shame and Vulnerability workbook. She's also got a couple of TED talks, um, which are very worth watching. Um, And she talks about cultivating vulnerability and empathy as a sort of way of overcoming shame. We must, you see, uh, fight against uh, the abandonment, the habitual abandonment of our own embodied vulnerability and any other disavowed feelings. We must be kind to ourselves during such times of transition. You know, if we're going through difficult times in our life, maybe we're going through a divorce or a financial shock or um, any other experience, the loss of a loved one, We, we have to be kind to ourselves then more than any other time. Because we've got to honour the reality of ourselves and what it truly means to heal. It's an embodied experience. You can't think your way out of this. And really, we need to slow down and soften to provide sanctuary for ourselves, for the wounds, grief and unfelt joys of a lifetime. Now, these are not my words. They are beautiful words. They come from a guy called Matt Licata in um, his Transforming Shame So I just think that's a beautiful awareness to provide your own sanctuary. And that's what I do largely when I'm working with clients. I actually haven them. And I thought I'd bring this up because um, shame, shame has been in the news recently and the defences against shame and, you know, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial really exposed that was it was massively covered in the news media which, by the way, is another aspect of shame. You know, you have to expose other people. Um, and people enjoy watching other people go through excruciating experiences when they have their own shame. So um, if you were hooked on it, uh, you maybe need to look inside as well and find out what you're, you know, uh, avoiding. Shame, as I've said, is a controlling device against unacceptable behavior. And these behaviours um, become unconscious defences against shame. So you, you get those early experiences and then you form behaviours based on the beliefs that you are unlovable or unworthy. And you, you have them, but they're all unconscious and they really develop instinctively in order to allow yourself to survive psychologically And they're designed actually to protect you, to banish, reverse, cover up and and avoid all the unbearable effects of shame. They offer an escape by very interesting means, by substituting other states of mind. So disowning them, you know, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, Reversing the shame. So, you know, you're the one that should be ashamed or projecting the shame and blame onto others. So that's what we saw very much in the trial. And there's a certain amount of narcissistic rage in response to shame so if you've had a shame-filled childhood um, you're going to get very angry when other people um, expose you and so any form of uh, attack or abuse um, effectively convert a feeling of being weak you know this is why we attack others we want to make others feel weaker than we do um, so, making others feel small and humiliated transforms our own shame into a more powerful feeling it 's only short term, of course it doesn 't last um, and by forcibly projecting the shame onto another person, you make them feel powerless and small instead of you but um, that's that 's as i 've said not a permanent solution and it it really doesn 't solve the problem and therefore it it tends to escalate. And yes, the, the trial we witnessed did expose the, the shame of two people who had once loved each other. Both have undeniable shame-filled childhoods, um, and probably that's why they were attracted to each other, because the, the this idea of the same wound, the opposite coping style or strategy, uh, that's a very commonly understood um, means of attraction, is that you kind of recognise each other because you have a similar uh understanding of yourself but then it can lead to disaster as the shame defenses collapse and the attacks begin um, where you start to project outwards onto the other person when they start to disappoint you and and that that then gets a reaction and so it tends to escalate and that leads to mutual abuse as we saw i'm not making any comment whatsoever on um, the truth or otherwise of the statements made in that court case I'm just seeing the shame and just as a a more down-to-earth example with someone I've worked with um, uh, let's call her Gemma um, age 42 an IT consultant very functional very productive uh, has made her way well in the world always working in fact and very focused and overachieving and, and in total denial of her pain because basically she didn't she wasn't abused as a child she wasn't abandoned she wasn't uh, starved or beaten but finds as an adult that she hates absolutely hates her mother in a way that she can't understand um and so she limits contact with her mother to her mother's consternation and bewilderment because her mother doesn't really understand why she reacts that way and and so responds to the um, abandonment, if you like, with constant texting, you know, so the mother is constantly texting Gemma and um, it's sort of going round round and round in a cycle. When she does try and connect with her, you know, when she does spend time in her presence, um, she feels totally trapped and finds it difficult to really um, have a meaningful conversation Her mother is hypercritical of her compared with her siblings and everyone notices it's a bit of a family joke. So where one person, you know, her sister will be treated in a particular way and her brother will be treated in a particular way. That's quite allowing uh, for her. There are very high standards that she always seems to fail. And Now, where might this have come from? Well, when we look back at the history, her mum, Gemma, was the first child. Her mum was overwhelmed when raising her she was some would say too young you know she wasn't ready for for motherhood it was also a terrible birth experience very traumatic uh, for mother and baby and there was a a failure to breastfeed because I think the child Gemma was already um you know uh, neurologically sensitized so she failed to breastfeed and couldn't settle and was difficult and as she grew, it became Gemma's responsibility to actually look after her mother rather than the other way around. So she would be looking after her mother's emotions um, until the other children came along. But then in fact, she had more to look after because she had the other children as well. Now that's a terrible burden for, a, for an adult, and um you cannot think your way through this shame experience. The only way that I know of to do this, other than going. For maybe psychedelic therapy or a shamanic journey is connection to a safe other and in Gemma's case that's me Uh, when she connects to me in in an embodied way so we connect her um, nervous system to nervous system uh, enabling her to ground in her body she comes to the realization of her extreme loss of connection and attunement and it enables her to cry for the first time Um, you know she admits to me that she hasn't cried in absolutely years and racking sobs as she unleashes this wellspring of pain beneath her coping strategy of being okay she's always been known for being okay but it's not the reality is it and so um i'm going to stop sharing there that's just one example of you know a long case history I've I've worked on and I have many others filled uh, people filled with shame as I was indeed so you know I'm an example of a person who didn't realize I had shame but the way I grew up um, having an experience of having a chronic illness in, in my father and my mother obviously being worried a lot of the time and just growing up feeling very responsible for everything and not being able to sort it um, this is a shame experience. And, you know, I had a very ordinary childhood. Nobody hurt me deliberately. So it's it's just very interesting that very many people can come through a uh, normal, relatively normal childhood and still have these deep wounds. And that's something I work on with people. And I I run the um, the community program once a month. So uh, you're very welcome. It's a drop in session Uh, £10. uh, The timings will be given below. You can also book below if you want to join us and just share your experiences if you want to. As I've said, you don't have to. It's a very supportive and wonderful community and I'm hoping to build it and I look forward to seeing you if you'd like to join in. Take care. Bye for now. hope you enjoyed listening to rebel health radio do subscribe and look forward to catching you soon